I'm going to be sharing with you on the subject, higher dimensions in relationships. How many of you like relationships? Like when you hear of the word relationship, how many of you feel like, yee, yippee? How many of the single people, when I say relationships, you're automatically gravitating towards, you know what I'm talking about? And how many of you are trying to look spiritual right now, like you're not interested in the opposite sex? Yeah, some of you. All right. So this, this message, I'm going to preach over a number of weeks, okay? Probably over three weeks or so. I'll have a break in between. And um, I want to just say to you, you cannot be spiritually mature without being at the same time emotionally and relationally mature. You cannot be spiritually mature without at the same time being emotionally and relationally mature. You see, you've got a lot of Christians today who think they're very spiritual because they've defined spirituality as just, oh, I'm a hardcore prayer warrior. Oh, I'm a great giver. Oh, I'm really experienced in spiritual warfare. But the problem is they're what you call the brilliant jerk. You know the brilliant jerk? Someone who's very smart, but no one wants to work with them. I'm sure some of you work with some of those people, right? Because they're emotionally immature and they're relationally immature. And what I want to take you through is some principles. I've got 13 of them, all right? Today I'll probably cover about maybe three or four. But I want to take you through this process. And if you master these things that we're going to share, it takes your relationships to another dimension. How many of you know that life is about relationships? God is a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we were created in God's image, so we are relational beings. We are social beings, and it's part of our maturity when we grow in that arena. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. And so I'm going to go straight into it. And the first ingredient, the first ingredient, the first thing that takes us to a higher dimension relationally is mutual respect and honor. And please, when I talk about relationships, I'm talking about different types. You can apply this to your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your pastors. Praise God. Hallelujah. Right? Number one, mutual respect and honor. A relationship will not survive. A relationship will not be healthy if there's no mutual respect. What do I mean by mutual respect? I'm talking about respect that goes both ways. Amen? So it's not one-way honor. It's not about you honoring me as your pastor. It's also about me honoring you as people who come to this church. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right? Mutual respect and honor. So... How do you show at a very practical level, how do you show honor in your relationships? How do you show honor in how you relate to another person? The word honor, it's an interesting word because in scripture, in the Hebrew, you've got the word kabod, which means weight or heaviness. The word honor is sometimes the word to value something or a price or a value that's placed upon a particular thing. I felt very honored yesterday when I went, I dropped off uh, one of my sons at a kiddie's party. And I think I was the first one to arrive there with him. And the kid who, had, who was having the party, a guy called Matthew, Matthew Wiggle, a lovely boy. And he comes up to me and he shakes my hand like this. 
He's been playing, he's all excited at his party, but he comes up and he shakes my hand like this. And I remember feeling so ministered to just by the way he did it. And I realized that's a rare thing nowadays. Have you ever been to some of those schools where you go and, you, and they're good manners? He honored me as someone who was arriving there at that particular time. I felt honored. And what I felt, found interesting was when I went to fetch Daniel from the party, Matthew Wiggle was now, the party had moved. It was now at their house and they had a jumping castle there. He jumps off the jumping castle, comes to me and he sticks out his hand to shake my hand again. And I'm like, wow, Matthew. And then I tell his dad, Gavin, and his dad says, yeah, we've been trying to drill it into him, you know, because it's about respecting people. It's about honoring people. And that's a rare thing nowadays. Now, here's the interesting thing about respect. It looks different, doesn't it? It looks different in different environments. I remember some time back, a number of years ago, I was coaching a particular person who was heading up a particular team at one of the banks. And what was interesting for me was, she said to me, Paul, there's been a mutiny against me. Some of my staff members have put in a grievance and I didn't even see it against me. I didn't see it coming, Paul. Like, okay, speak, speak. Now I'd asked her in the coaching process, what are your values? What are your core values? And one of her core values was respect. And I said to her, what does that look like? And she said to me, you know what, Paul? When you raise your voice, when you're speaking to me, I feel disrespected. I'm not used to that at home with my kids, with my family. We just don't do that. So that's what respect looked like for her. And then I had to do an intervention for that particular team. So I go in and she had told me that one of the people who had put in the grievance against her would raise her voice. And I saw it happening in that particular session. And I see this person literally shouting at her boss. And I'm like, okay, that's why the boss feels disrespected. And then I asked this individual and I said, can you tell me what are your core values? And she said, respect. And I said, well, what does that look like for you? And she says, Paul, I don't like it when my boss sets up meetings with me early in the morning because she knows that I arrive at work early. She sets up these meetings, but then she pitches up late for the meeting. And then she expects me when she arrives, she expects me to drop everything I'm doing, all right? and still meet with her. I feel disrespected when she does that, Paul, because my time is just as important as her time. Can you see what's happening? These people are part of the same team. As a core value, they're saying honor and respect is important for us. But can you see what's happening? There are different assumptions behind what that looks like. It's so important in your relationships to be able to unpack honor and respect. It's so important in your relationships to say, I feel dishonored when you do A, B, C, D. I feel respected when you do the following things because it doesn't always look the same. Can I have an amen? amen. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says, being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some translations say, submit yourself one to another out of reverence for Christ. Christ. So our starting point for honoring each other is honoring Christ. And you see, when you don't start off from a position of honoring Christ, the honor you give other people often is fake. You see, you can't dishonor Christ and say, oh, but I'm honoring you, I'll honor you. Because it will always be love with a hook in it. It will always be honor that wants something back from that particular person. And I find this amazing, being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when we talk about submission, because later on it then goes to say, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. 
But the context of that is we're already in submission to each other. Are you hearing me this morning? All right? There's a difference between authority and competence. You may be in authority in a particular situation or context in your life, but doesn't mean that you're the most competent. So how many of you know that in the context of this church, yes, I might have authority, but I understand I have to submit to certain people who are experts in certain areas and ask for their wisdom and ask for their advice before making a certain decision. Otherwise, I'll make foolish decisions. Amen. In your marriage today, in your friendships today, is there mutual submission? I think I said this to you last week. Everyone is always moving from a place of being in authority to a place of being under authority. Right? So I'm speaking with authority to you right now. But as soon as I get into my vehicle and I get onto the highway, guess what's going to happen? I'm under the authority of the Gauteng Metro Police. I cannot say to them if they stop me, do you know who I am? Do you know how respected I am in that organization? I cannot say that. When I go to my kid's school and the security guard says, park here, you're not allowed to park there, I have to submit to their authority. Amen? A lot of people struggle with this. A lot of people struggle with moving in and out of authority. All right? And that's why the scripture says, be subject to one another. In our relationships, we need to be subject to one another. Amen. You see, to submit means to rank under someone or something voluntarily. So people don't have to force submission upon you. You are the one who's yielding. You're the one who's saying, I could have rebelled in this situation, but I'm submitting myself here voluntarily there's no coercion and this is meekness isn't it it's meekness in our relationships and people it will not work your relationship will not work unless you're in a place of meekness what is meekness meekness is strength under control it's that person who's the gentle giant it's someone like Ishe over there who could beat me up right now but he chooses to restrain himself that is meekness I've got power over you, Paul, but I will not use it. You are my pastor. I respect you. Amen? Amen. If I go up to Jimmy, where's Jimmy? If I go, hey, all the big guys are sitting next to you. If I go up to Jimmy, for example, and I say, Jimmy, I want you to do ABC differently as you are leading worship and so on. You'll be like, yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. Now, technically speaking, in terms of physical power, he could, he could I, was, I was looking at his muscles when he was doing praise and worship there. He could, I was like, this CrossFit thing is working for you, my brother. All right. Um, that's why he always wears T-shirts and doesn't wear long sleeves. But anyway, um, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> No, it looks good, Jimmy. But the point I'm making, the point I'm making is that's meekness. It's strength under control. It's when you have power to destroy someone, but you choose not to. Amen? That's why when, when husbands beat up their wives, they're not exercising meekness. They're not exercising mutual submission. They're not yielding to the wife's intellect or whatever power they're perceiving that she has at the particular time. I'm saying this because almost every single time when a guy beats up his wife and I'm counseling them and I say, what provoked that? Very often he felt emasculated. And at that point, he'd be like, she thinks just because she's good with words, she can do this. Or she thinks just because she earns more than me, she can do this. Or she thinks just because... That's a point of demonstrating meekness in our relationships. Can I hear an amen? amen? To say, although I've got the power to destroy you physically, I'm restraining myself. 
I'm restraining myself. A lot of people sadly struggle with this type of movement from being in authority and under authority. You see them coming to church and because they're the CEO of their organization, they walk in and they think that they can tell everyone what to do. Just because you're in charge at work doesn't mean you're in charge in church. Can I hear an amen? amen? That's where we say to you, no, sit down, son, sit down. We'll teach you the Bible, okay? When we're out there, yes, in the marketplace, you can teach us about business. But in this context, sit down, son, we'll teach you the Bible. Amen. amen. All right. Colossians 4 verse 1 says, Masters, provide your servants or your slaves with what is right and fair. I mean, if you know that a lot of masters, a lot of employers in this nation right now are not providing for their servants what is right and fair. Then it says, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So you honor people because you honor God. You recognize that you're not this law unto yourself, but you've got God that you finally are accountable to, that you report to. And out of the fear and reverence of, for the Lord, you end up honoring the people who are working for you. And when we do business God's way on the 3rd of March, one of the key issues I'm going to be covering is how employers should treat employees and how employees should treat their employers. Amen. And how entrepreneurs should do business God's way. Amen. All right. So can you see that honor manifests in different environments? There's an honor you give your domestic servant who works for you at home. Are you honoring him or her? There's an honor you, you give the person. One of the ways I like to honor the person who helps us in our house is if there are visitors who are going to come on that particular day, I like to prime her. Because if the house isn't tidy, she tends to take responsibility and feel embarrassed. Feel like, oh, they arrived, but I hadn't yet finished cleaning up. Are you hearing me? So I like to honor her by informing her with notice that, oh, this is going to be happening. This is going to be happening. Getting into her world. How do you honor the people who work for you? I like to honor her by paying her on time. Paying the people that work for us on time. Amen. There are ways in which honor manifests, especially when you can abuse it. And very often we do that, don't we, in this country? We abuse it. Oh, because they rely on me, it's fine, I'll take my time. I'll spend money on this and this and this, and then as an afterthought, oh, do I need to pay you? That is wrong. Say to the person next to you, that is wrong. All right? Now, if you look throughout scripture and you study this thing of honor, there's the honor we give in terms of government authorities. There's the double honor, praise God, hallelujah, that the Bible speaks of, that we give those who are elders in the church. The Bible says this, it says, give double honor to those who are elders in the church, especially those who do the work of teaching and preaching. Figure out for yourself what that looks like in your life, amen. I don't need your honor at an emotional level because I receive honor that comes from God. But for your sake, those who are elders in the church, especially those who do the work of teaching and preaching, it's important to give them double honor. Ask yourself what that looks like. Amen. Right? Um, the Bible speaks in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You don't have to turn there. But it says, husbands, deal with your wives with understanding. That word understanding is the word gnosis with knowledge, with understanding. Like know them. Study your wives. How many of you study your wives? How many of you have passed 
after studying your wife. <laughs> All right? Anyway, it says, deal with, your, deal with your wives with understanding and honor them as the weaker vessels, lest your prayers be hindered. That's a very powerful scripture there. That's a very powerful We could unpack that. Amen? It says, honor them. The word that's used for honor there is value them. A price, like put a price to them, as it were, like value them. This is the value of them, right? Honor them as the weaker vessel. That word weaker, how many of you know that women, particularly in those days, were weaker? They're generally weaker physically, okay, in terms of, you know, physical strength, etc. On average, ladies, don't react, don't shoot me down. On average, I know some of you ladies here can bench press more than me. That's cool. It's fine. I'm secure in my masculinity, right? But here's the point. Here's the point. Yeah, no, I've seen some of the things my wife can do, and I'm like, eh, there are levels, yeah. <laughs> All right? It says, husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. That word weaker literally means fragile, handle with care. So sometimes as guys, we're like, no, she must just get over it. I don't know why she's so offended in that situation. Let's just get over it, man. No, we are wired differently. Amen. And in those days, remember, weaker was very significant because when it came to human rights, when it came to um, inheritance rights, when it came to social justice, there were many disadvantages women had. If a wife lost her kids, lost her husband as a widow, why were they so big on look after the widows in this particular way? She didn't have anything left. And it says, though she might be weaker than you, she is your equal in terms of heirs of the kingdom. Isn't that powerful? There's an honor we must give our spouses. The Bible also says, honor your mother and father. There's an honor you give your parents. Amen. It doesn't say when you're an adult, you must listen to every single thing your parents say. You must do exactly what they say you must do. That's, that's not the same as honor. Because you're now an adult. You're now a grown up. Amen. But what it means is that word honor is to weigh heavily. So sometimes in terms of major decisions, you might just want to find out what, is, what does my dad think about this? Or maybe you weigh them heavily by informing them concerning important things in your life. Amen. That's the honor we give them. And practically it outworks itself even in our households. So for example, my wife, um, when she was doing a, about a 3K swim yesterday, um, she, she injured herself and um, cut herself. And the doctor said to her, you know what, you must put your feet up. Now there's a nice lazy Sam, you know those, la those lazy Sams that you can have in your lounge, okay? I'm usually the one who sits on it, sometimes the kids take over it, but often she's kind of like got third choice and so on, and she just ends up coming after making food for all of us and so on, and just squeezing her way and sitting somewhere. And I thought to myself, that's wrong. We need to honor her as the mother in the house. We need to, I need to honor her as my wife. And I said, my love, you've got first dibs on the lazy Sam. And I could see she was actually surprised. She was like, oh, wow, it ministered to her. And I'm thinking, no, that's your right. You're the mother here. Amen? Amen? We have to teach our children from a very young age how to honor their mother and father. And sometimes the way it manifests it manifests in very practical things like that. Like, has, Dad, have you got a good seat to sit? One of my sons likes lying down on one of the couches when we're watching movies and so on. And then I rocked up, and as I told you, my wife now had first dibs on the lazy Sam, and then, I don't know, the kids were just scattered everywhere. 
And I was kind of like, and this one is like lying down on this couch watching the movie. And I'm like, uh-uh, this is not going to happen. Now, back in the day when we grew up, come on, would that ever happen? <laughs> back in the day when we were growing up, as soon as my dad arrived, you know, we'll be chilling, doing breakdance. I'm from the breakdancing era back in the day, right? And then we just see the lights on, you know, and we had a long driveway and we knew dad is back. We just see his lights, the car lights. We, we were robotic about it. Not robotic in terms of breakdance, but robotic about it. We would get out. You knew the drill. You go outside. You welcome dad. You get his briefcase. You know the briefcases in the 80s, those ones. You get his briefcase. You get his newspaper. You pitch. You go home. You put it down. Dad, would you like some coffee? Dad, would you like this and so on? But it was an honor we gave him. Nowadays, sometimes I arrive home and I can see when my wife has sent the kids to come and welcome me outside. Because the three boys come outside. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. I'm like, guys, no one is even helping me like lift up things and carry stuff and so on. And when one of them does, often maybe there's one of them who helps me, then we really celebrate it, you know. Okay? But the point I'm making is we need honor to come back to our relationships. And honor will manifest in how you speak to each other, how you listen to each other, how you greet each other, how you give to each other, okay? Honor is seen when you're giving your spouse a birthday present, you've thought it through. It's not something where on the day you're like, oh, hey, what do you want? Hey, oh, that's honor. I wanna encourage you with the people you're in relationship with, ask them, how would you like me to honor you? Ask them that question. You'd be amazed what comes out. Ask them another question. When do you feel dishonored by me or disrespected by me? You'd be amazed what comes up as a result of that conversation. Amen. Amen. Do you know that you also honor people based on what you respect and what you want to receive from them? The Bible says if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you will get what? A prophet's reward. What is the prophet's reward? It's the grace that is upon that prophet. It's the benefits of the impartation from that prophet. So if you receive a prophet as a pastor, you just receive a pastor's reward. The reward you receive is based on how you receive someone, not on what they are. Are you hearing me? The, the reward that you receive from someone is based on how you receive them, not on what they are. So if you receive me as a friend, you'll get the benefits of a friend and we'll watch soccer every Sunday together. But there's something else I carry that other people don't carry that you can receive. Are you hearing me? All right. So some people, they like, they want to be best friends with the pastor, but there are lots of people they can be best friends with. Can I go there? There are lots of people you can be best friends with. I have to ask myself, the people who God has placed in my life, what do they need from me that only I can give them? That's what you need from me. Are you following? Amen. Bible says, if you receive a righteous man as a righteous man, you'll receive a righteous man's reward. I want to show you some practical ways of communicating honor and respect in your relationships with people. Timekeeping. Just being conscious of time when you're dealing with them. I find it amazing how a lot of people honor their bosses but don't honor their spouses, don't honor their family members. 
So when you're, when you're running late for your boss, what do you do? Hey, sorry, I'm running late and you're very stressed out. When you're running late for your spouse, ah, they'll understand and you don't even communicate. There's a problem there. Amen? Respond to WhatsApps. You see people when it's their boss, they quick response. Somehow they respond very quickly. When it's their spouse or a friend of theirs and so on, they'll take their time. And you start wondering, do they actually get the message? That's dishonor in relationships. Amen? Okay? Update them on important issues. Don't take them for granted by procrastinating. One of the biggest complaints we have as I counsel couples, one of the biggest complaints is, you know what? I don't know if I come first in my husband's life. Because when his family wants something from him, he drops everything and he does it. But when I need him to do something, he takes his time, he procrastinates. You've dishonored your spouse. Amen? How many of you know that, ladies, your husband is your primary cover? Not your father, not your pastor. Your husband is your primary cover. And when you dishonor that, you're actually creating a gap for the enemy. You're almost like making a hole in the spirit realm. Do you know that a lot of the cults today... A lot of the cults today were actually started by women who stepped out from under the covering of their husbands. They didn't necessarily divorce the husbands, go and do the research, but they stepped out from under the cover of their husbands and it exposes you spiritually, okay? Husbands, honor your wives. If they're asking for something, you want to reinforce that you come first in my life. Because you've asked me for this, even though I'm tired, even though I'm sleepy, I'm going to do it right now because it's you. You're honoring them. Amen? Are you getting something this morning? Take into consideration their recreational preferences. What do they enjoy doing? What do they prefer doing? It's not always your way. It's not always what you like doing. With your friends, are they always coming to the things that you've planned? Or is it sometimes the other way around where you also go to what they've planned? Or is it just a one-way street? Allow them to be themselves. In this church... There's no set dress code, is there? I mean, there's obviously the minimum requirements, okay? <laughs> As Christians, right? We don't want clones. Just if I, come if I come up with a suit, doesn't mean everyone else must be suited. Amen? If I wear an African thing, um, like what I was wearing last, last week, doesn't mean everyone else must do that. There's some churches where everyone has to have the same hairstyle as the pastor. <laughs> you can only have a bald head. It helps if your head is a good shape for that. Amen. So don't all go bold on me because it suits some people, doesn't suit other people. Amen. These are real issues that we have to talk about because sometimes we dishonor people by trying to make them like us. I've seen it. I've seen it in friendships. No, you can't wear that if you're going to hang out with us. No, this movie is better than that movie. People have different tastes and God made each of us unique. Mutual respect and honor. Amen? Allow them to be themselves. Avoid being domineering and controlling. Don't smother them. Don't smother them. Value them as a powerful human being with their own unique taste in clothes, in hairstyles, in sports, in food, in movies, in sense of humor. Just because you find something funny doesn't mean the person next to you finds it funny. And that's okay. Place value. Think about it in your friendships. 
Place value on their dreams, not just on your dreams. Make sure the narrative in your households, husbands and wives, is not just about your dream. Hey, I've got this big dream and this big empire I want to build. And you've just come to join me with it. That's why some people, some men, that's why some men get married late, by the way. They're too proud to build from scratch with their spouses. So they want to start off with a massive empire. Then one day they say, come, join me in my castle. <laughs> Look what I've done for you. And that becomes the pattern the rest of their lives. I don't need your help because I'm already well accomplished. A lot of the marriages that end up very effective and very successful are the ones where you start off together, struggling together. Amen? So don't be too proud. What are the basics that you need in order to get married? Am I speaking to someone? I think I'm speaking to someone. What are the basics that you need just to get married? Accommodation. Accommodation will now be cheaper because you can now stay together. Amen? Amen. And if you're already staying together, then you need to change your ways and repent of that. Amen. Amen. Okay. Very important. Romans 12 verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Very powerful statement there. Honor one another above yourselves. What does that look like practically? Jean said earlier on, sometimes we can theorize about these things. What does it mean in my family to honor my wife above myself? Gentlemen in this place, meditate on this scripture. What does it mean? Honor one another above yourselves. Place weight on the other. Do you know that if you're truly honoring the other person, you will listen to them because you'll place more weight on what they have to say than what you want to express. Amen. That's just a sign of honor. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves powerful. So number one was mutual respect and honor. Number two, listening skills. Listening skills. If we want to have healthy relationships, we have to know how to listen. And I want to encourage you, how many of you here generally would say you're a, you're a bad listener? Okay, to a certain extent, I'm seeing the qualifications coming through. All right. Do you know that you're actually not? You're probably a selective listener. Because if you're listening to your favorite song, you really listen to it, don't you? If you're watching that thriller that you really enjoy, you listen to everything for two hours because you want to make sure you understand what's going on in the movie. I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I received a phone call last night while my family was watching a particular movie. And I said, carry on, carry on, guys. But when I got back, I felt like I was left behind a bit. And I asked them, guys, I want to catch up. I want to catch up. I want to catch up. I was listening intently so that I could follow the suspense in the movie. My question to you this morning is, are you really a bad listener? Or is that you're a selective listener? Just think about that. If any of you struggle with listening, there's the 10-minute rule. You know what the 10-minute rule is? You're working on your listening muscle. And so what you're doing in your relationships, you're actually giving yourself, yourself tests. And you'll say, you know what, when I speak to this friend of mine today, I want to actually be quiet for 10 minutes and just hear them out. And you know what the amazing thing is when you do that with someone? People operate in layers. Say to the person next to you, people operate in layers. 
The wife you think you have right now, and if people ask you like, so where is she at? And then the narrative that you'll give us, it's probably not the real narrative. You just know the person superficially. But people have layers. And when you listen for quite some time, you'll notice that the person begins to bring out those layers, bring out those layers, bring out those layers. I've had conversations with Pastor Trace, with my wife, where she'll say to me after the conversation, thanks for listening. And she'll say to me, oh, you know what? Just having that discussion with you has made me realize A, B, C, D. What is going on there? What is happening there? She is going to a deeper level of understanding of herself because she's being given airtime to just speak without feeling like this person is in a rush and they have to go. I'm not saying it always happens like that, but what I'm saying is she's given me that feedback before. Amen? You cannot build emotional intimacy with another human being without some degree of listening to them and them listening to you. Amen? Emotional intimacy in any relationship is not something that just happens. It's not a thing where, oh, we are intimate. No, it's something that builds one conversation at a time. And the people who are relationally mature have mastered the art of having healthy conversations. Amen. Ask yourself, I'm shocked the number of couples I speak to where I'll say, oh yeah, because your husband was telling me this. Oh, because so-and-so. Okay, no, we need to talk. We, Pastor, we still need to talk about that because I don't really know. I just got the highlights. I don't really know. And I know things, but they don't know. There's a problem there. Amen. And sometimes it's risky. I found it even in the church. It's risky because I'll go and I'm assuming that the spouse already knows the latest. And then I realize, oops, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Right? It happens sometimes as pastors. Amen? All right? James 1 verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to Everyone should be quick to, slow to, quick to, slow to, quick to, slow to, and slow to become angry. So why don't we listen? Why don't we listen? You know, it's been found that the desire to be understood is to communication what oxygen is to the lungs. The desire to be understood is to communication what oxygen is to the lungs. So if I'm having an argument, who can I pick on? With Harvey, right? I'll be saying, Harvey, hear me out. Harvey, you're not getting me. Harvey, hear me out. And Harvey will be saying the same thing. But you know what? What happens if I seek first to understand Harvey before I'm understood by him? My posture toward Harvey is, Harvey, where are you coming from? Harvey, can you tell me what does the world look like from your mountaintop? And he says the same thing to me. When you've got relationships built on the foundation of truly listening with empathy, it's amazing how it takes us to another level. Can you see why it's powerful us talking about this? Because you think you're very spiritual because you're a strong prayer warrior and you're a big giver in the church, but you're not really spiritual as long as you're emotionally and relationally immature. Amen. Okay? So why don't we listen? We don't listen because we think we already know. And often that's rooted in pride. Now, I already know. I, I, I know what you're going to say anyway. No, no, no. I know how you generally have been feeling this week, so I'm sure you are the same today. People change. I was having a discussion with, with my wife, and I was saying, you were this way on such and such a morning. By the afternoon, you are now this way. I'm sure you know, people don't stay the same. They're not static. They're not robots. Amen? 
And it's important for me to then be listening to her because her narrative might be different to what it was like earlier on in the morning. Is someone getting this? We think we have a solution and we assume that is all they want. How many of you know that very often it's not all they want? Often people are speaking to you because they just want you to hear them out, not because they want a solution. We generally have a superiority complex that thinks it has figured out the other person. It's true. Sometimes we don't listen because we're impatient. We're impatient. We haven't got time to hear the whole story. Sometimes we don't listen because we're so caught up in our own tasks. If you're a task-orientated person, how many of you are task-orientated? You have people-orientated people and you have task-orientated people. How many? Just raise your hand. Task-orientated. Okay, Pastor Vim, okay. Task-orientated people. Patrick, Juan, okay. You know what the narrative of a lot of task-orientated people is? It's like, I don't have time to listen to you because I've got A, B, C, D to do. And you know that if in, in any kind of relationship, if that becomes your narrative for too long, you know the message that's communicated to the people around you? We're not that important. On your list of priorities, we're somewhere way down there. Right? There are times when I'm going about my tasks and then I might press pause, I might be so busy, but I might step aside and listen to something my wife has to say, and she'll sometimes thank me for that. She'll, she'll sometimes say, thank you for getting out of your task mode and getting into our world. Amen? Be very careful when you're task-orientated. Let me say something about relationships. Relationships and efficiency is an oxymoron. You get what I'm saying? Relationships and efficiency is an oxymoron. In other words, the two don't go hand in hand. Very often to build relationship with another person requires time. It requires sacrifice. It requires, you know what? I'm going to press pause on all the other stuff I want to do and I'm going to give you full attention. Is it the quickest way of me using my time? Would it be better if I was just multitasking? Yes, it would probably be more efficient, but it would destroy the relationship. Amen? You know when you're truly listening to someone, they come out of your presence feeling significant as another person. They feel significant as a person. People used to say this about Nelson Mandela. They would say, you know what, you go meeting this guy and you think I'm about to meet this great person, but you'd always leave his presence feeling great yourself. My question to you is the people you're in relationship with, when they leave your presence, how do they feel about themselves? And this is a powerful test those of you in relationships and so on, and hoping to get married at some point, ask yourself, how does that person make me feel about myself? How do I feel about myself when I'm in their presence? Do you feel defiled? Do you feel defrauded? Do you feel like you're stupid? Because this guy's trying to be the hero and trying to act like he's all clever and you're clueless. Ladies, how do you feel? Because from afar, you admire his intellect. But each time you leave his presence, you feel stupid as a person. That says something about him. Watch out for that. Amen. How do people feel when they leave your presence? 
You know that when you start listening to someone, it brings you closer to that person. And sometimes people don't listen because they're afraid of intimacy. There's what we call the threat of intimacy. Intimacy. The threat of that. You see, for some of you, if you've come from a background of abuse, a background of betrayal, you associate intimacy with another human being. You associate that with hurt, betrayal, harm, and abuse. So what happens is you're drawn to someone and you want to get closer to them, but you find that as you get closer and closer, you start running away. How many of you can identify with that? You don't have to raise your hand. It happens with a lot of people who've experienced abuse to a point where they get into relationships and people are like, the person they're in a relationship with is, just choose. Do you want to be with me or don't you want to be with me? Because as we get closer and things really get more intimate at an emotional level, you then run away. You know the people I'm talking about who run away. Some people will avoid truly listening deeply at a deep level because of the threat of intimacy. You see, listening is something you have to actually practice, not so. I'm fortunate that my business and my career, my profession, I'm paid to listen. A lot of what I do, I'm listening, okay? So I get to practice it a lot. But if you come from a background where the nature of your job is commanding people and telling them what to do, when it comes to everyday life at home, at church, or with your friends, your listening muscle isn't strong. Sometimes we don't listen because we often practice counterfeits to true listening, like selective listening. Selective listening is where you only listen because something interests you. And then you zone out if it doesn't interest you and becomes a habit, even with your loved ones. So you're there, you're, there, you're talking to them, and at a certain point you can see, okay, this person is now in another world. <laughs> okay? Sometimes you tune out when you don't like the content. Sometimes you pretend to listen. Sometimes you listen only to the highlights or the headlines. Sometimes a lot of people will listen only enough to reply, but not enough to understand. We must listen to understand, not just to reply. Listen to understand, not just to reply. I want to encourage you, those of you who struggled with listening, I want to encourage you to do the following things. Look them in the eyes and also watch their body language. Listen to not just what people are saying, but also what they're not saying. <coughs> listen actively. You know, when you listen actively, like, wow, oh, that's so interesting. When you actively engage with someone, it encourages them to end up saying more. Otherwise, they tend to shut down. Okay? Listen with empathy. The word empathy means, it comes from an interesting Latin word, em and pathos literally means feeling into, wearing someone else's moccasins. Listen with emotional empathy. What is emotional empathy? It's, I feel you. If you say to me, I've got a headache, and I say, oh, where is it so, where is it so? It's, I feel you. People feel connected with you. There's cognitive empathy, which is, I get you. I know where you're coming from. I might not, understand, I might not agree with you, but I know where you're coming from. I follow your logic. There's empathic concern. An empathic concern is, I'm here for you. 
if we have mutual respect in our relationships, and if we have listening skills in our relationship, ladies and gentlemen, it takes us to another level. And you can apply this to your marriage, you can apply this to your friendships, or anyone that you're in relationship with. I'm going to do the third and last one for today. And that's mutuality. And it's a term we don't use that often. Mutuality. Mutuality. How many of you know that when it comes to being in love, how many of you are in love here? <laughs> hey! All right. All right, here's the interesting thing. How many of you know that a lot of times you know when you're in love? You say to someone, are you in love? And they'll be like, oh, I guess I am, yeah, and I'm in love. And they act a certain way. But have you noticed that the deeper concern that person has is what's going on on the other side? I know that I'm in love with this person, but I'm not too sure what's going on on the other side. And that's what we mean when we talk about something being mutual. I remember a time when a friend of mine, he liked a particular girl who he subsequently has been married to for years, but at a certain point he didn't feel she had the same feelings. And he wrote something and he came up with a concept and he called it the crucible of unrequited love. When you talk about unrequited love, we're talking about love that has not returned. For a relationship, please hear me out very clearly this morning. For a relationship to be healthy, it needs to be mutual. Otherwise, you end up feeling this is a, this is one, a one-way street. Have you noticed that the arguments you have with your spouse or with your friends or even with your pastors, it's often that feeling of I do A, B, C, D, E for you, but I don't quite feel I get the same back. Are you hearing me this morning? And you see, one of the ways of seeing whether a relationship is healthy or not is ask yourself, how mutual are things? How mutual are things? Do you know that pastors fall into sin? One of the reasons they fall into sin is they feel the relationship with the congregation is not mutual. So you'll find pastors saying, but I've poured out for them. I've sacrificed I don't even take a salary. I do this and I've done this. I pray for them and they just leave the church. Or I do this and this. I've seen it. I've spoken to pastors who will say those kinds of things. I've given them this and this and this and this is what they do to me. And then you find the pastors end up saying, so what's the point of continuing to give? What's the point of me praying for them, Lord? And the pastor backslides. There are a lot of pastors who are in a backslidden state right now as I speak. Amen. Oh, they still preach on Sundays, but they're backslidden. Some of you, your marriages have been destroyed because you haven't felt that things are mutual. So you have a common discussion in marriages. Is I feel like I love you more than you love me. How many of you have had that one? I feel I've sacrificed more for us and for the family than you have. Okay? So the challenge is figuring out if it's just a one-way thing. You see, mutuality speaks of sharing of sentiments, sharing of values. And where there's mutuality, there's reciprocity. What is reciprocity? It's not just you inviting us to 
your house. We also sometimes invite you to our place. I'm not talking about debt-based relationships. I'm not saying, oh, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Oh, you got me an expensive birthday present, so I must also get you an expensive birthday present. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the sum total of the relationship. You must feel like there's mutual benefit here. You, there must never be a sense of, I feel like I've gained a lot in this relationship, but I'm not too sure if they've gained much. I want to encourage you to assess your relationships and to evaluate them today and to say, you know what? Is there a relationship where my mindset is, I'm just taking, I'm just taking, I'm just taking? How is it going to affect the other person at a certain point? Because I can tell you right now, if you've only known the person for a few months, it's fine. But a few years down the line, people start feeling taken for granted. People start feeling taken advantage of. People start feeling, what is going on here? I think I've been a fool in this situation. One of the ways we mend relationships is by having this conversation around mutuality. Is everyone following today? Okay. So let's go a little bit deeper into this. It's not a debt-based relationship. Okay. It's not a debt-based relationship. Right. Mutual love means that you can feel secure that you both love and are loved equally. You feel secure in the fact that we both love each other and we are loved equally and that we are putting the same amount of energy into this relationship. Again, I'm saying to you, if it's a one-way thing, after some time, you'll feel like, uh-uh, there's something not quite right here. I want to encourage you, if you feel the elements in your marriage, elements in some of your friendships that are not mutual, have the difficult conversation. For some of you, you have to speak to some of your friends and say to them, you know what, you're right, I have actually been avoiding you. I've been avoiding you because each time you come and meet with me, number one, I'm the one who pays. You're also working, I'm also working. But I'm the one who pays each time we go for tea. Number two, you want something from me. You either want to borrow something or, or I have to listen to you as you talk about all your stuff and you never ask me, what am I going through? Have that difficult conversation. If you don't have it, do you know what will end up happening? At a certain point, resentment builds up and resentment becomes bitterness and bitterness defiles you, the Bible says. You see, as Christians... We've been brought up in an environment where we were like, no, but this is agape love. So just love and just keep loving. Now you can do that sometimes with your kids when the love is unrequited, when it doesn't always seem like it's coming back, right? But I can tell you right now, in friendships that you are in voluntarily, even in marriages that you went into voluntarily, you will expect that it's mutual. Can you, are you hearing me this morning? Okay. Now, there are four major areas. In fact, I'm going to give you five major areas of mutuality that must be present if a relationship is to succeed. Do you want to hear those five? As I close off, I want to give you those five. The first one is love. So mutual love. When both feel loved and both feel appreciated for being loving, commitment then thrives. So in other words, in my marriage, we both feel loved. My wife will often say to me, I'm so blessed to be married to you. 
And I'll often say, no, I'm so blessed to be married, married to you. How many of you know that that is mutual? Okay. Now, I want to know that when I love her and show love, she appreciates it. She wants to know that when she shows me love, it's appreciated. That is mutuality. Now, sometimes when couples are fighting, it's different, isn't it? It's like the one is saying, I'm, you're so blessed to have me as your husband, you know. Other husbands out there, oh, they're really terrible. Do you know what they're doing right now? I know them. I talk to them. They're cheating on their spouses. And look, I'm here. I'm stuck here at home. Look, just here with you. Okay? You have some guys speaking like that. And then the wife is like, you know, you know how blessed you are to have me? Right? There's something in us as human beings where we're looking for mutuality. And when you don't feel it, please, 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 have the conversation. Have the conversation. Okay? So the first one is mutual love. The second one is mutual benefit. Mutual benefit. The sum total of the relationship must feel similarly beneficial to both partners. And please, again, I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about friendships. It must feel similarly beneficial on both sides. It doesn't mean that, oh, because you came early and you swept the floor, I must also come early and sweep the floor. It means the sum total of what you do in the relationship and my appreciation of it, you must also be experiencing the same thing on your side. So for example, you might have a situation where you're married and one of you decides, let's say the wife decides, she'll be the stay-at-home mom and look after the kids. There must never be a sense in the husband that, have you seen how much I bring in and how much money I bring in for the family? So you must all appreciate me and worship me because of this great work I'm doing. The posture from the wife should be, we really appreciate what you're doing. But equally so, from the husband should be, wow, I so appreciate the way you gave up your career for us as a family. Wow, I just love how you've poured into this family. I'm so grateful. When I go out on business trips, I'm not stressed out because I know things are taken care of. How, how many of you know that you can't place a monetary value on that? Mutual in terms of benefits. The moment you have situations where it's like, but look, I earn way more than you earn. You now have a problem. Because it means that the other person doesn't feel fully appreciated for the other things they do, if they do those other things. Amen? So there's mutual love, there's mutual benefit, then there's mutual trust. Relationships are unhealthy where you trust the person, but they don't trust you. You know what's sad today? I counsel lots of couples and you have a situation like this. There's no mutual trust. There's a mindset that, uh, I don't trust my husband, but the husband trusts the wife. And whenever there's that dynamic, one person feels defrauded. They feel like, but I trust you, but you don't trust me. There's, the, there's what we call the reciprocal nature of trust. Trust breeds trust. If I show you that I trust you, you're more likely to also trust me. A lot of relationships are unhealthy because there's no mutual trust. The trust levels are not equal. And you know what? After a while, you hear one person complaining because they'll come up to you and they'll say, but how come when you ask me to do something, I do it immediately and you know you can rely on me. 
but I don't feel I can fully rely on you. I always have to ask you three times before you do something for me. Can you see that when it comes to functional trust, that's the trust that we're talking about here, when it comes to functional trust, it's not the same, it's not mutual. Are there things right now that you can rely on your friends for, but they can't rely on you when it comes to that? And we'll talk about it next time because there are three different types of trust and we'll break those down. Then there's mutual support. Mutual support. You know you will support each other emotionally, <clears throat> financially, mentally, spiritually, verbally, to the best of your abilities through good times and bad times. How many of you know that great friendships, there's mutual support? You don't have this feeling of like, you know what, when I'm down and out, the person forgets about me. But when they were suffering, I was there for them. Amen? One of the worst experiences to have is to be in an intimate relationship with someone and to feel like they are for you when times are good. But when times are bad and you need them, they're not there. One of the things that strengthens relationship is where someone is consistent with you even in moments of weakness. Even when you're not performing. Even when you're not at your best. Even when you're backslidden spiritually. You see, sometimes in our relationships with each other, we get into performance mindset, don't we? And we're like, as long as this person is always praying 10 hours a day, always doing this, always fasting a lot and so on, then I'll relate well with them. But when they're not in that space, you treat them differently. How many of you know that you'll also have your lows? Amen? Ask yourself and evaluate where you're at relationally. And then I've added a fifth one here, which is mutual sacrifice and effort. This is often a sign of commitment. Are they willing to give up certain things for me like I am for them? Are they willing to make sacrifices just like I made sacrifices for them? I see it happening where a lot of women in a marriage situation will say, but listen, I don't get to mess around with my friends and just go and do A, B, C, D. But how come he gets to? I'm here with the kids at home all the time, but he gets to go and play golf with his friends. Can you see what she's looking for? She's looking for mutual sacrifice and mutual effort. You know what? When there's no mutuality, we end up in high-maintenance relationships where everything is extremely draining. And it has an impact on other relationships. Have you noticed that? Because you end up in a situation where you're pouring and pouring and pouring and other people close to you are watching and they're saying, why are you doing all of this for this person who isn't even appreciating what you're doing? Why? And you are forgetting about us, but you're controlled by that individual. It affects your other relationships. And it's so important for us to address it. Scripture, where do we see this? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 to 13. We see Paul having that difficult conversation. He says, I've spoken freely to you. He says, guys, I've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. And I've opened wide and opened up wide our hearts to you. So he's saying, guys, I've opened up my heart to you wide and he says we are not withholding our affection from you but you are withholding yours from us what does he say in verse 13 he says as a fair exchange 
I know some of you don't like fairness. But yeah, Paul is saying this. He's saying, as a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. This is mutuality, isn't it? We've seen it as pastors. I've seen situations where my wife has opened up her heart towards certain people. But in the past, we've had certain people who didn't do the same. How many of you know that that can be quite hurtful, isn't it? And Paul here is saying, and he's speaking openly about it. I've seen it in ministry. There are times when I'm cool and I'm fine with certain things. There are other times where I'm like, but I poured myself into this person. Is this how you treat someone who pours themselves into you? And he says, guys, as a fair exchange, open wide your hearts also. Not just your actions, your heart. Proverbs 27 verse 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. If I am iron to you, are you also iron to me? Okay? Establish common ground with the people around you if you want to build mutuality. Where you see what you have in common, where you develop shared interests in each other and in what's going on. Mutuality is crucial. What are the three things we covered today? Mutual respect and honor. Let's have that in our relationships. Listening skills. Let's master that. Mutuality. Address it if you don't feel it's there. If you don't address it, resentment is going to build up. Amen. Let's pray.